And reporting live from the oh, alcohol-soaked kitchen of Scottish football that is Smyrna, Georgia. I'm Jarrett Smith. <laughs> Joining me this evening from the uh, fan, a Nigerian fan club, one and only Stockbridge, Georgia, not joined by Insects tonight, will be Jason Longshore. Congratulations. You are with us on the Peachtree Post, soccer about Atlanta and in Atlanta. Jason, uh, it's quiet on your end. I don't hear all the cicadas and the mosquitoes. It sounds very lonely. Yeah, not not uh, the best of weather tonight, so I decided to move it indoors. Um, I can't believe your kitchen is already alcohol-soaked and the Scottish season hasn't even truly started yet. <laughs> That's because um, I watched – but first off, I watched today the highlights of Aberdeen literally losing in the 92nd minute oh. on a play back to the keeper. The ball catches a bit of grass, skips over his foot as he's trying to kick it out. And I'm pretty sure it was against Maribor. And it just rolls in harmlessly to knock them out of European play. So the only team, the only chance Scotland has is Celtic, who the only reason they survived is because Astana made two really, really bad plays, gave Celtic two penalties. And Celtic needed both because their keeper came out and tried to go full Manuel Neuer and came like 20 feet, 20 yards, I should say, out of the box, tried to head the ball downfield, and it landed at the feet of a striker for Astana, who just lofted the ball 40 yards into the goal. (laughs) This is my vice. Yeah, it's just dangerous. And and you're right, the league starts Saturday. It's it's only going to get worse. Yeah, oh, it's only going to get worse, but whatever, your team has all the money. (laughs) <laughs> um, Manchester United has all the money, whether they get Pogba or not. Um, actually, Juventus needs good news because I think I read today that Kingsley Coleman is going to go to Bayern Munich because, you know, they're totally devoid of talent and need more talented wingers, like 19-year-old super fast and super cocky French wingers because that's totally what Bayern Munich needs is more talent. Everybody needs some of those, so I, I understand. Well, they have to replace... Uh, eventually, they're going to have to replace uh, Iron Robin, which, I mean... Robin's going to come to the MLS at some point. I'm convinced. Oh, no. I'm afraid. <laughs> Everyone's just going to show up with that meme of him with the clock. And every every hour just says cut inside. Oh, there's so many memes with Arjen Robin. <laughs> I mean, we're going to have the Noir Penal guy showing up. Yeah. Um, we're going to have, you know, just Robin falling down all the time. I mean, it's just, oh, boy. See, he's going to come over and he's going to flop against Seattle and Clint Dempsey is going to start an actual rumble on the field. <laughs> That's going to be the end of it. It's it's getting closer and closer for uh, Dempsey to do that one of these days. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he's not even playing around anymore. But he, anyway. He's um, on edge. Wow, yeah. Um, but speaking of people maybe or maybe not coming to the MLS, um, Jason, the transfer window happened and Atlanta did not do Atlanta things kind of like we hoped. I know we had a lot going on earlier in the window, yeah. but the, the end of the window was quiet for Atlanta. Maybe not the rest of the league, but it was quiet for us. Yeah, it's one of those things I would like to, you know, one day uh, have that conversation with with Darren or Carlos or, or Paul McDonough. And, you know, there weren't really any rumors, so we don't know if there were any players that they were chasing and just didn't end up getting. Um, not any that we know about, so... You know, I'd, 
I would think that they they were definitely kicking the tires on some different guys that were out there, but just deals didn't make sense. Yeah, I mean that's and that's the thing is um they've got seven guys. I think it was uh, a friend of the show, uh, Miles of the South, uh, who suggested that Atlanta is actually further along at this point, calendar wise, coming into their first season than a couple of the other or other expansion teams were in terms of number of players on roster. Like yeah, the rosters just got filled up later. They're the furthest along. Um, I believe New York had five guys uh, last in 2014 that summer. Uh, and they kind of went a different direction. They went with David Villa as their big name and then made four trades within the league to pick up guys that they loaned out elsewhere. You know, Atlanta kind of went in a completely different direction with two guys who are out of contract, one big transfer for a young designated player in this window, that's that's pretty solid. I mean, you got a, a good level of experience. You've got you know, the three guys you signed, uh, Jones and McCann, have hundreds of games in, in uh, the championship and the premiership in England. Fischalba played over 100 games with San Lorenzo in Argentina. A lot of experience coming in. Yeah, that's the thing I have to keep reminding myself is that Vijalba's played in a lot of games and he still can't legally rent a car, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I think he can rent it. He's just got to pay a little extra, right? Uh, yeah, like his his car insurance won't go down for a couple of years, but he still has all that experience. So that's that's great news. Yeah, I think um, he'll be able to. Uh, I think he'll be able to handle that that car rental right now. He'll be okay. Oh, <laughs> yes, he will. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, um, yeah, the transfer window. I mean, I think I kind of got kind of down not not angry or depressed just kind of like all shocks that atlanta didn't do anything but at the same time i had to remind myself that it was a pretty active window like you said yeah and, yeah you could have lived the the life that philadelphia lived in this transfer window where you know you had the alejandro bedoya thing pop up and then chicago saying oh no we want to get some bedoya yeah yeah we were trying to get him too and then you know I, last night at 11 30 i think with an hour and a half in the window word comes out of philly that they're chasing charlie davies and i they got it in like just under the wire it's a crazy times in philadelphia yeah um and like i told you like i told you off air before the show like i get mad about charlie davies not at him but just because of what might have been had he not just had really an awful run of luck like car crash is really bad uh, cancer is just um I can't even imagine but he's just had such a rough go of it and every time I feel like oh maybe he'll like you said every time he get feel like oh maybe he's getting there no no he's not well so I mean something's going wrong yeah but it's a credit to him I mean you look at oh, yeah. I, I remember when he came back to the to uh you know really getting playing time with DC United uh I think it was the first season he significantly played after the the car accident and you could tell it wasn't all right yet. Like he was still kind of figuring out what he could do. And, you know, DC looked at it as a bust. Um, in New England, he, he definitely showed flashes of what he was before the car accident. Never, you know, I think it's, it's impossible to expect it um, to ever get back there all the way. But he turned himself into a very good striker in this league and kind of on the the cusp, I think, of, you know, being looked at for the national team player pool again. You know, then, you know, this earlier this year, we didn't know what was really going on when he was out for a while, and it just came out 
last Sunday that, you know, he was dealing with cancer treatment and everything's in remission now. And then the trade, uh, it doesn't seem like it's anything, you know, everybody seemed to be okay with the move. Uh, by all accounts I've read, Philadelphia went to new England pretty late in the day and started asking questions if Davies was available and new England cleared it with Davies that, you know, or do you want to make this move? And he was okay with it. That's the, the story being told. Um, I'd be pretty shocked if New England traded him without having that conversation after the cancer announcement comes out. That's pretty cold. I don't think they're going to do that. Yeah, that would have been <laughs> that would have been kind of uh, oh, that's a PR nightmare. Yeah, I mean Belichick's there, but I don't think he was calling the shots on this one. Yeah, that's that's not even Belichick. That's Larry Bird. I mean, Larry Bird's the guy who um, yeah who this last year when Frank Vogel was out of a job basically called Vogel and said, "Go ahead, beg for your job." Do it. Beg for your job. And Vogel like politicked why he should get the job. And Bird basically said, That's a good argument. You're still fired. <laughs> he made him he made, he made him sing and dance and then still kicked him out in the rain. Old hearted. Oh, we need but we, we went over this last week. We need more villains, and that's a great villain. And um by the way, I'm looking at the schedule right now and I'm really disappointed that Bedoya will not get to play against Seattle. Because after what he said, <laughs> after what he said earlier this year, um, which I suggest you go look up. Um, in short, he he was experiencing an almost overdose level of Schadenfreude at Seattle's uh, trademark smoldering crater selves right now. Um, so that that would have been a lot of fun because I I imagine that the Seattle fans and this is not to get into the debates we had about New York Times articles. The Seattle fans would have been less than kind to him, and I would have enjoyed watching that just for the entertainment value. Yeah, if if you're not following uh, at Ale Bedoya seventeen, you you need to start now. Uh, definitely an entertaining follow, and he's I'll not be shy. curious. He's not shy at all, and I'll be curious to see uh, what he has to say now that he's part of, of MLS. Yeah, but um. Yeah, otherwise, I mean, I keep seeing it. See, the Charlie Davies thing was interesting to me because I was uh, schlepping it on Reddit the other day, on Reddit's MLS page, and it popped up like, oh, Charlie Davies, uh, that, that, you know, the union's interested in Charlie Davies. I think that's an interesting rumor. And then it happened. I was like, oh, it just kind of like came out of the ether and then it became real. And it was interesting because I kept seeing all these names, all these teams saying, oh, Teams would be so and so would be interested in uh, Mario Balotelli. There were like three teams tied to Balotelli, which uh, I know we know your opinions on this. Don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> uh, that that that's an argument for uh, for other writers to make. If I'm not mistaken, right now he's actually tied to Ajax. Is interested in him? If I'm not mistaken. What really? Oh, I think so. Um. Okay. Uh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> I'm gonna let that one go. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I was not mistaken. It was Ajax. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ajax edge closer to, uh, or they've, they've been, they've been talking to him. So that's, that's right. Put him in the Dutch league where he will score all of the goals because <laughs> defense is, <laughs> defense is a theoretical prospect there. And he that's would a, score. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You just remember what Josie Altador did out there in the Dutch league and then multiply that times five pigs and you will have 
what he will do out there, and then he will get another big contract, and the circle of life continues. <laughs> Who else in uh, in MLS did you kind of notice in the transfer window that you think maybe had a good one or had a really bad one? Was, you know, who else jumped out at you? Uh, Orlando actually jumped out at me. Um, you know, Christ is really. I think he's trying to really build that team the way he wants it. And you know, we I think we had talked about this, and a lot of people had about Christ having control over the individual players over the roster, so to speak. Sorry, I'm trying to find my words. Yeah. Um, and you know they, you know they ship out. They make a trade. Uh, uh, Matthias Perez Garcia comes in. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think someone referred to it as the most MLS trade ever. They or the most MLS purchase ever. They oh, yeah. bought the contract of a guy on their B team, but they had to pay the Columbus to do it. Yeah, like they he, had. He was. A, they had to get his MLS who, rights. Yeah, his MLS rights were owned by Columbus, but he was playing on Orlando's B team, so it was like a three way deal with themselves. Yeah, it's one of those moves that, you know, whoever came up with some of these rules in the MLS office was kind of giddy over. Yeah, that was it was the most MLS move that yeah. you could have seen. But, but I, I mean, Orlando was... hosts in the office on that one. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so Orlando really caught my eye with that just because I really want to see how Christ does with this because, you know, we talked about Christ so much in Atlanta um, – but he's down there now, so you know how's he going to build that team? Uh, we'll get to them at the end of the show, uh, talking about them and the Seattle game coming up. But I want to see how he builds, what he's looking at, what kind of moves he makes. Um, does it open up things for Atlanta down the road? And also because you know, you know, people like it or not, and roll their eyes otherwise. I mean, that's a potential rival just geographically with Atlanta. Yeah, Orlando is. Pretty interesting. I think that move with uh, Perez Garcia and Darwin Saren was a good move both ways, actually. Oh, yeah. Because the way San Jose wants to play, you know, Matias Perez Garcia just didn't fit. I was actually kind of surprised that they even brought him in. And he can play that kind of Javi Morales role that, that Christ has liked with Salt Lake in the past. And Saren, you know, now can fit in San Jose and be, you know, more of the the holding mid that they like. Everybody wins with that. The biggest thing Orlando did was they kept Kyle Laren. Yes, and that's. They, see, I I still think they'll if they move him. Um, but you make a great point. I think they'll. I, but if I think I think if they move him, it will be in the uh, in the winter window, like in February of next year. I think they'll want to move him in that window. Um, it's just going to depend that that's where it gets tricky because of the calendar where, you know, that's our off season. So teams are more willing to deal, but it's mid season with most other leagues. So teams, not every team is as willing to deal. So we'll kind of see what the market shows for Laren at that point. I mean, and you know, whether or not he fits what Christ wants to do. I mean, I guess that's open for discussion, but you can't, I don't think you could have sold him off right now. And being able to turn around and tell people without bringing in somebody who fits and makes a splash, like without doing that, I don't think you could have told people, yeah, we're actually within shooting distance of sneaking into the playoffs and we just sold Kyle Laren. So let's go get him. See, I don't even think it's that. I think, you know, the, the numbers that were out there on Laren, I think are just starting to scratch the surface of what he can draw in the market and, you know, hold him a little while longer. Um, you had a good point, though, about trying to get into the playoffs this year. That'll make a statement for Christ, and, and they're close. I mean, I think they can definitely get there. 
but somebody's going to come in with a stupid offer for Kyle Lair, and he's just that type of player. And you're going to be in the Fabian Castillo situation where the offer is going to be so good and the opportunity is going to be so good that he's going to want to take it. So you're going to have to make that decision and, and get as much money as you can for him and move on. Yeah, by the way, they're actually tied for sixth right now with uh, New England. And a head yeah. on goal, and a head on goal difference. They're right there. I mean, with a game in hand. Th- the biggest question is the defense for them, and they did pick up uh, Jose Aja, a uh, defender from Uruguay. We'll see if he can kind of solidify things for him. I think he he was on the bench in the first game, didn't start. Uh, that's that's the question for me. Is they can score goals and. I mean, they made a huge statement in that first game with with the comeback, but can they stop anybody is the question. Yeah, they've got that cardiac, we're going to score in the 90th minute, 89th minute thing down. And they've had that going for a while, and it's really fun to watch. Like, if you're building a team, that's fun to watch. It's high scoring, they'll score late, there's drama, the cardiac cats, whatever you want to do. I mean, cool. But like you said, yeah, it's right now, it's, man, it's that's some Dutch defense out there. <laughs> Definitely theoretical, yes. I mean, it's just like they just every time I look up, like, oh, they they don't know they they haven't seen a clean sheet in a long time. Uh, I just I don't know it. They might sneak in. I mean, I don't think they're going to make any noise yet, and it's going to be the next window for Christ to really complete. I mean, he's still not going to complete it in one more window, but to really start the true overhaul because he doesn't have the pieces to play exactly how he wants. And he's going to have to make some changes. No, I think you're right. I mean, he could use the next window to make the moves within the MLS in the off season. And then next summer, um, you know, that could be a time when you could, when you could see him finalizing things, bringing people from outside the league, um, trying to make a run next year. That's, that's possible. Definitely. Um, there were some other teams who were pretty active in this window, and there were some teams that you kind of expected to do some things and didn't. Columbus is one that I kept kind of waiting for something big to happen there. And Anthony Precourt, the owner, came out today and said that they were in discussions with different DPs and just couldn't get something done, couldn't get the right move done. Um, Fabian Castillo went to Turkey. Mess. Like, officially went to Turkey. Finally, for real. Well, I mean, he <laughs> went to Turkey before, but he actually is going to yeah, play no, there now. <laughs> God, God bless him. I mean, like, if you're in Turkey, please stay safe. Um, and just because it's such a weird time right now, um, won't really get into the politics of it. But um, he's going to one of the big teams there. So, I mean, but speaking of theoretical things, I wasn't sure that was ever going to happen. That he was going to be there, like, I don't know, sit on the bench. Someone's going to tap his shoulder and he's going to have to hang his head and come back to Dallas. Was, That's another one that I would love to see the oral history of in Sports Illustrated at some point on that story because, I mean, he went over there without permission is, is pretty much what everybody's agreeing on at this point. And then there were questions about can the, can the club actually you know write a check that's not going to bounce? Is everything going to be okay here? And they, I mean, the deal was was dead. And, and it came back because I think it was obvious at that point that he couldn't bring him back into the squad. It just wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, 
that was just great, by the way, because I'm not mistaken, it was him that like the fans were waiting at the airport for him yep. in Traps yep. and Spore and cheering the man. It's like, why would you want to go home? All these people just cheered your head off and you're you're welcome here. So just let it go through. Um, oh, yeah. A New York team added a DP, which is like saying a Yankees bought somebody for a lot of money and paid them through their bad years. So that's just <laughs> par for the course. Omar Damari is at Red Bulls officially. Uh, yeah. Left the I mean, they paid DP money for him, so, I mean, it's going to get attention. True. I mean, not a typical DP. Definitely not the older Red Bulls type of designated player with a Thierry Henry or a Cahill or a Marquez. You know, not a guy that, you know, you you probably know much about, but he's got a pedigree. He should be able to contribute. Um, They didn't really make any huge, splashy moves this time, but that's kind of what the Red Bulls have become. Um, we'll see if he fits. I, you know, Jesse Marsh has a, a system that he is, is believing in and truly implementing even, you know, sometimes to the the detriment of the result at this point, he's got this press down and, you know, players who come in are going to have to fit into exactly what Marsh does as opposed to just signing good players. Yeah. And, um, Let's see what else did happen. Um, let's see, Dynamo made a couple additions in the window. Like it was, it wasn't like gra- earth-shattering, groundbreaking stuff. I mean, Charlie Davis was big, and you had a couple of big moves, but it wasn't like earth-shattering, groundbreaking. But it was enough moves, I think, that um, they make the playoff picture more interesting. I don't know who does what. You know, do we do we do we give it a couple weeks and look at the playoff picture and then kind of see how things shake up, see how people fit into systems, see how they get their fitness up or down. It could be fun. Yeah, that's kind of where it's at right now. I mean, and, and that's the hard part about where this window falls is you're coming in two-thirds of the way through the season. So, you know, it's going to take you a couple weeks to get going unless you're Nicholas Ladero and you're just a beast in game one. Um, it's going to take you a little bit of time with some of these signings and – I, I like what a few teams did. I like that Portland was aggressive in trying to improve their defense. Uh, Steven Taylor became an absolute necessity when Nat Borchers got hurt. Uh, the the Lithuanian outside back, Vitas, I'm, I'm not going to try the full name. I'm just going to go with Vitas. That's what he put on the back of his shirt. So That's, that's, that's the right move. Works for me. Uh, I like him. I like what I've seen of him. I think he can be a, a really solid player in this league. There were a couple players that that jumped out to me because they didn't move, though, that I think could be potential targets for Atlanta United in the offseason. Uh, Zach McMath is one that we've we've talked about a bunch. Uh, I think you, had, you had like late breaking news on him. Yeah, uh, came out in the Denver Post tonight um, article, Rapids goalkeeper Zach McMath frustrated by demotion, wanted out of Colorado. And when you get into it, he talks about how, you know, he's everything that we've all thought. You know, he's kind of evolved into a starter. He had a good season and he knew from the minute that Tim Howard was signed that or announced that he would be signed, that he was going to be sitting the bench once Howard got there. And the biggest thing that jumped out to me in the article was that there was a team interested in this transfer window. Uh, but the Rapids denied it at the last second. So he was almost moved in this window. It, it, we've talked about it with it in terms of Atlanta United. Um, just expected he'd be available, and it sounds like he absolutely will be available. So that could be something that happens. Um, the other player is one that 
you know, we haven't really talked about yet. And there was a lot of talk about him possibly going to Europe or possibly going to another team in the league. And it's Johan Venegas, a Costa Rican winger with Montreal. And Matthew Doyle, armchair analyst for MLS Soccer, talked about it. He expected that Montreal would try to get something for Venegas because he's just not really getting into the mix there. He would be a player who could definitely fit in here. Um, you know, he's got that speed attacking style. He could fit. He would be a player that, that might be available and might be able to mesh with some of the other pieces that are already here. Yeah, that's, I mean, those, that's reasonable. And, um, you know, like we said, Atlanta has a lot of guys on roster compared to where a lot of teams were. Yeah. There's still moves to be made. There are guys out of contract they can start locking up. Um, there's going to be the window next offseason. We still don't really know what kind of draft situation we're looking at. I mean, there's so many, uh, there's so many unanswered questions that, yeah. There they'll, will they'll figure be, it out. Exactly. There will be opportunities after MLS Cup to acquire players within the league, whether it's an expansion draft, whether they expand the first, what is it, re-entry draft and waiver draft and whatever other draft they want to have. Atlanta United will you know get priority in these things. Minnesota is pretty much a foregone conclusion at this point. Um, even Garber is, you know, pretty much said it without saying it. So it's just waiting on the details now. And I'm sure by now they know, okay, Minnesota's coming and this is how we're going to handle the off season. So they're preparing for it. I think they'll be ready. Yeah. And the team has to know. So it'll be taken care of. I'm not worried about it at this point. Basically yeah. to me, it looks like they've got a bunch of a bunch of like toys and Legos scattered across the floor. They know what to do with them. They have an idea what they want to do, but they just kind of like, eh, I'll deal with it later. I'm going to go sit down. And, you know, we'll deal with it later. We know what we want to do. And uh, now we just have to figure out what we want to make out of it. So um, not worried about it. Uh, Atlanta guys, though, are uh, going out on loan and moving around. So there's that. So on to happier things. Um, Vijab was eligible to go out. Jones isn't. Yeah, weird stuff. Um, not sure what is going on on the paperwork side with the international transfer certificates. It's something that that I've dealt with in the past when I've worked with the Silverbacks Reserves and Atlanta FC and NPSL and we were worried about these things for league play and for Open Cup, they can be a nightmare at times. I mean, they were definitely a nightmare for us when we were doing it as volunteers. In this type of situation, I think the holdup probably revolved around when their MLS contract started and I know with, with Chris McCann, it was said in his deal, his Coventry press announcement, that his MLS contract started August 1st. So if if you couldn't request the ITC until August 1st, I can understand why Kenwin Jones couldn't have played on August 2nd in CONCACAF Champions League. There is a bit of lag time in requesting an ITC, and then in that situation, Atlanta United would have been requesting it from... England, because England was the last club, or Cardiff was the last club. Actually, Wales. I don't know how those work. That's a that's a good question. Oh, it's just a I, nightmare. Well, yeah, I, I don't even know where that fits because Cardiff is in the English league, so I don't know who who held his ITC. Maybe that was the holdup. Don't worry, the Brexit will take care of it. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, we'll be good when that happens. Yeah, when so that's, that's all settled, all because that. it's totally that's totally not going to be an issue yeah. at all. Yeah, not um, at all. It's all good. It, it was voted. It's all good. 
So yeah. that, I, can, I can get why Kenwin wasn't able to play on August 2nd if his MLS contract didn't start to the 1st. But it was announced today that Vishalva has his ITC in the hands of uh, Tijuana, and he can play on Saturday against Cruz Azul. Yeah, and that's um, – I don't, I don't know. From what we've seen, like it's going to be interesting to see him crack that lineup because it's, it's that's a, be that, is a, that, that is a lineup. It's going to be tough. I mean, they're they're two and one this year. Um, they are coming off a four four zero drubbing of Chivas. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on Miguel Herrera this season because they struggled last year. So, you know, he's not gonna just play Vishalva because he's you know on loan from Atlanta United or he's a hot shot from Argentina. He's gonna have to earn that time and. Herrera likes to play, and he, he hasn't consistently done it with Tijuana this season. He's, he's shown a lot of flexibility, but he likes to play your favorite three-five-two, five-three-two type of you know setup. I, so, I am a I am a disciple of the three-five-two of the three-five now. Oh, you're 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 in now. You're, I am, you're down. I am I am in because it, at least it will be interesting. Man, I'm I'm telling you, I'm more and more, like I I find myself really liking three five two. If you have the right pieces for it, yeah. I mean, the, if you have like, if, yeah, like you said, if you've got the pieces, and if you're watching a team that say has a bloated midfield with enough midfielders to storm the Great Wall of China, sure, <laughs> it can work. Yeah. Um, Vishalba, if if that's the setup they play, he'll have more defensive responsibility than I think he's used to. Because if you look at where he played on the field for San Lorenzo, uh, started as kind of a second striker and then moved out to the right wing, but an attacking right winger. So if they're playing a three, five, two, or if he's the wing back in the, in the five, three, two part of it, he'll have a lot of work to do defensively. And that it's good. That'll be something to add to his game. That'll be a, a good thing here. I was about to say that that seems like good news. Like, I don't want him. It's great. I want him scoring goals, and I want him getting confidence. But you know, there is going to be defensive responsibility no matter what Atlanta ends up doing. So you don't want him to forget that defensive responsibility. And yeah, it's good to kind of add that to his game now. And if he's going to have those learning moments, you know, where maybe things get a little interesting, or he has his hiccups, I'd rather him have his hiccups under Miguel Herrera uh, than here. True. And I mean, also, yeah, that's the same Miguel Herrera. In case any of you were thinking Miguel Herrera for Atlanta United, he's coaching in Mexico. So, well, you know, maybe maybe Vishalva can bring him in a January. It'll all be good. Oh, those games will be lit. Oh, Piojo, one of my favorites. <laughs> you think Atlanta United games are going to be interesting? Now, bring in Herrera. Watch <laughs> uh, the press conferences will be must see TV. Um, the press conferences there would be great. Also, um, since, you know, Belgium, I don't want to say stole, maybe. Oh, you're going to go stole? You, you went there? Wow. No, I don't want to say stole. I mean, like, it's kind of like shoplifting, but you didn't mean to do it. Like, you picked up something you really didn't mean to take, and you had it in your hand, and you completely forgot about it and walked out of the store. <laughs> I think that's, that's a, what happened. That is an interesting way to put it. Um Roberto Martinez to Belgium. That was that was a shocker uh, when that when that news broke, and it was you know even crazier to see people saying that Belgium beat Atlanta United to get Roberto Martinez. It's like wow, this is kind of where we're at now. Okay, either you're thinking way too highly of a team that literally has not played a single game yet, or I don't know. A lot of the Belgium fans I saw were not happy about the idea, but he he said he wants to make Lukaku like a world class striker and. 
Like, okay. Uh, it's one of those things. I mean, you come into a national team job and you have to say those things, but oh, he's yeah, going to have no influence on Lukaku becoming a world-class striker. He's going to see him for, you know, 50 days a year. Come on. Yeah. Um, you know, if he, if he does do that with 50 days a year, then someone's going to give him another job in league, in uh league one, England championship level, England, he's going to get them to the, to the EPL and they're going to finish like lower mid table because that this book has been written. You can rewrite it, but it's still going to come out the same. I, I think it would have been really interesting to see what he would have done in MLS with his attacking style that he wants to play. I, I don't know if it would have been successful, but it would have been really interesting to see. And I think it potentially could have been a better fit than it, it definitely would have been a better fit than Hull City because Hull City is a nightmare right now. You talk about smoldering craters. Oof. Didn't Hull City just no? his Wolves just got sold. Um, Hull City, everybody's injured. Yeah, I'm trying to think like which one because um, listening to, uh, listening the other day to somebody talking about oh it's it's Wolves who got sold and Wolves is getting interesting. Hull City is just is the Walking Dead. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I mean, we'll see. You know, I. I don't really want to rehash the the manager conversation again. No, of course not. Um, I just I, I needed <laughs> I to get the Roberto Martinez off my chest. Because, oh yeah, yeah, we had to go there. It's okay, um, but we'll see what happens. I don't even want to start making predictions on that one at this point. Uh, pulling this train out of the yard, um, McCann is suspended. So we're, I mean, that's like a McC- a McCann got mad at somebody because that's not Atlanta as hell. No, no, not at all. Um, at least he did it before he became part of Atlanta United. This was in the last match last season with Wigan. Uh, got a straight red. I think it was the second of the season, so he got a three-game suspension. There's a little bit of question on how that works uh, because they have a League Cup game mixed in, and I don't know if he's suspended for that as well or if he can play in that one because the suspension is for just for league games. I'm not sure. We're, we're trying to get some clarification there. But Coventry is kind of an interesting spot because they have had some financial issues. They have a small squad. I think they have 17 or 18 senior players right now. And I know they were trying to add a few more here right before opening weekend. Um, They've got some younger, some U21s who can play as well. But they play, you know, you're starting to just come to grips with a 3-5-2. Coventry plays a 3-4-3. Yeah, not all the time, but that's what uh, Tony Mowbray, the manager, likes to do. So I just visualize it as trying to run through a minefield. It's it's kind of crazy. It's one of those that if you get if you get the squad and you get them trained the right way and they're fluid enough to be able to to change into different things, it's it's tough for other teams to deal with because it's not something you see all the time. Yeah, if they if they play that way. Um, reporters in Coventry were thinking he would be on the left side of midfield. I've seen some other uh, pundits from Coventry think he'd be more as the holding midfielder fitting into the squad. The thing that's going to be good for him with Mowbray as the manager is that tactical flexibility. Mowbray likes to change things up in matches. And McCann is a guy who you can start in one spot and then adjust your formation by moving him. So if you play yeah. three in the back and he's the holding mid, you can move him to left back and play four in the back. You've got some flexibility there. 
and see, and the way I've all, the way I've been thinking about it is, uh, and I don't mean to pigeonhole him because I know they're not. I know they know they know so many more things than I do about life and about the game. Um, definitely about life. Oh, wow, um, <laughs> old statement. Um, but I, I just pictured him being a left back, or you know, or even a left wing, but somebody to anchor down the back line. That's why I got excited in the first place. Whatever they decide to do with him, though, I trust them. And he's the kind of guy, though, that's that's experienced. He's not. It's not like he's you know thirty seven years old on a hip that is you know dropping bone dust like he's grinding you know grinding wood sand. But it's. Uh, I mean, he's he's veteran enough to anchor a line. So wherever they put him, I trust him. Yeah, I, I think he's probably best suited to play as a holding mid, but having I'm that flexibility. Okay yeah, I mean, it's just having that flexibility and having that left foot. You know, left, left-sided left players are always at a premium, so if you can get some other holding mids and then you want to play him as a left-back or a left-mid, you want to use him as kind of a utility guy, it can work. Um, his leadership, his experience are going to be key once he's here. They're going to be key for Coventry, too. I mean, you know, he just just led Wigan to a League One championship last year. Coventry is kind of trying to solidify themselves as a League One contender. They're going to be looking to him a lot, so it's a good spot for him. Um, he's going to get plenty of playing time, so he'll be ready come uh, January. I'm excited. I know I'm excited. Um, anyway, uh, on to what will eventually be one of the best ESPN 30 for 30s ever done by mankind. Wow. Um, the Nigerian... United States of Nigeria soccer extravaganza odyssey that Homer could not have written this. Um, Jason, you were, you were on top of this from day one. Uh, would you give us the uh, catch people up here? <laughs> um, let, me, let me think of where I want to start. I was going to uh, call it Cliff Notes, but I don't know that you can fit this in Cliff Notes. Yeah. There's a um, lot going on. I wrote a lot of words about the situation in the last couple of days, and I still don't think I kind of have a full grasp of it because the varying stories that have been told on all sides are just, it's all over the place. Uh, essentially what it came down to was they had to get to Rio. They had the Olympics to play. They were here for, a month. You know, we in, could we could have gone. We, we could have sent the U.S. in their stead. Not that it would have been entertaining, but we could have sent the U.S. in their stead. Hey, Nigeria actually won five four tonight. So I'm gonna say that I don't know if the U.S. would have scored five goals in three games, let alone one after flying the day of the game across a continent. Full disclosure: we actually delayed the recording of this podcast for the end of that game because it was five four. <laughs> it was two two in twelve minutes. I mean that you talk about lit. That thing was absolutely lit. Oh. It, it, the, the whole situation has been crazy. I mean, they were, by all accounts, they were supposed to leave for Brazil last Friday, and then multiple times between Friday and Tuesday, they had opportunities to leave. Charter flights worked out. Payments didn't happen, according to some people. Some people say, like, oh, they just waited to the last minute to try to arrange this. I don't know exactly. Um, 
the stories are just so conflicting that I, I can tell you what the actual truth is at this point. But they finally did have a charter flight arranged, and it appears that it was paid for by the Nigerian government, which runs the sports ministry. So one thing that I've learned through all this that makes this even trickier is, you know, during the Olympics, you have in some countries like here, you have the USOC and you have U.S. soccer. In the Olympics, U.S. soccer is not running the team in the in Brazil. It's the USOC. They're part of the overall Team USA. So there are some things about where like this training camp started and they were under the, I don't know, purview of the Nigerian Football Federation. And then at some set date, they actually became the responsibility of the Nigerian Sports Ministry, which is part of the government. So there's debate about when that was supposed to start and who was supposed to pay for what and when. And I, that's again, I, I don't know who screwed up where, but things were definitely screwed up. So by all accounts, they had a charter flight ready to go to fly out Wednesday night at about six o'clock our time to get to, I guess, to Rio at this point and then get to Manaus where they were playing tonight. Uh, their party the players and staff this is this is coming from the media representative of the sports ministry said that originally it was going to be 25 people going now it's 32 the 30 seater seater plane that was sent to take them was too small oh. so they didn't go last night they then from everything i've been able to gather somebody got delta involved and things actually worked out really well because the NBA had already chartered a plane that NBA teams use a lot with Delta. Uh, it's kind of a VIP charter plane. They already chartered this to bring Team USA back from from Rio after the Olympics. So it, the plane needed to get to Brazil anyway. I don't know when it was scheduled to be there, but it was going. And they were able to arrange it, come through Atlanta, pick up the team leave here at about eight o'clock this morning. It was seven and a half, eight hour flight. They touched down in Manaus at about two 30 before a nine o'clock Eastern game and went out and won five, four insanity. I got nothing. I can't, contrib- I can't contribute to that. I, <laughs> That's- I don't even know. It was nuts. By, um, by the way, fun little tidbit. Uh, the U S basketball team is like staying on a cruise ship. They're not even staying in the, they're not staying in the dorms that keep catching fire and getting robbed. They're staying on a cruise ship. Yeah, this this is going to be an interesting next few weeks with the Olympics. Uh, I love the Olympics. It's it's one of my favorite things. I've watched it. I was actually talking to my mom today, and I've watched the Olympics like religiously since 1984 when I was a kid. And I would I remember doing a poster board with my mom like keeping track of how many medals the U S won when I was a little kid. So I love the Olympics. I like watching all the events. Um, obviously I'm especially partial to the soccer events and this story is just nuts. I mean, before this, I watched Fiji play their Olympic debut and their goalkeeper stood on his head for a while. Um, but then still, I think he ended up giving up seven. I kind of lost count. Um, he, he played really well. Then he gave up seven. He was the man of the match for Fiji. Like, no doubt. That's a terrifying combination of words. 
Yes. I don't care. That's a terrifying combination oh, of words. You know, I think it actually ended up as eight because South Korea was just completely ruthless and scored w- like with 30 seconds left in stoppage time. I mean, who else is South Korea going to like? Okay. I've been on really bad losing teams. Like my freshman year in high school, my JV baseball team only won one game. I guarantee you that one game we poured it on. <laughs> well, South Korea definitely did that. So they go from I have no winning. so I have no qualm with oh, you get to thrash somebody and you're going to pour it on. Okay, been there, done that. I, I don't feel bad. That's that's competition. It's how it goes. But now South Korea has to adjust from playing Fiji and winning eight nothing to playing Germany in the next game. This is fun. That's going to be a fun transition for them. Ooh, that is going to be fun. I mean, we also had the, the U.S. women kicked off yesterday. Um, really solid 2-0 win. Um, I turned I it off. Call it. Go ahead. I turned it off when, um, I turned it off when it, the U.S. scored their second goal. I think it was Alex Morgan. Yeah, by beating, early in the second By half. beating the keeper near post from like 10, 15 feet away. <laughs> I was like, I'm done here. You can't I've give seen, up near post goals. I've seen what I need to see. <laughs> yeah. It, it it was just one of those like a dominant yes spectacular no uh, I think we'll get a better sense of it Saturday against France it'll Carly, definitely be a better test Carly Lloyd could not have literally tossed the ball into the net more beautifully than that header for the uh, was perfect placement it was like Twitter at once like Twitter went full hive mind and about thirty people on my feet at once were like Carly Lloyd still good at soccer or Carly Lloyd still the best. Like, yeah, we didn't forget. Like, thank God, I, I was waiting for someone to say like Abby who, and then oh. that's that's just a good way to get crucified. It's true in public. Did you did you catch the uh, the chance that the fans were throwing at Hope Solo? Yeah, the Zika chance that was. Um... <laughs> okay, yeah. The other thing I freaked out about Hope Solo was thirty five. When did she turn thirty five? When did she not? Like, when did when did this happen? When did she get? I don't want to say old because 35 is not old, but like, I feel like in my head, she's still like 29. She's been at this for a while now. I know. Cause I, cause then it corrected my mind where I thought, Oh, that's right. She got suspended from the team for trashing, um, Brianna Scurry. So yeah. Well, let, let me, let me clarify there. She trashed the coach. Oh yeah. More okay. than she that's trashed true. anybody else. And, and I will forever love Brianna Scurry for, her trash talk and for leading Atlanta's teams. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could I could do a whole podcast about that whole situation with with Hope Solo in that tournament because that was the worst coaching decision I've ever seen a coach make at that level. You bench your starting goalkeeper going into a semifinal in the Women's World Cup against you know one of the best teams in the world at that time, Brazil. What? What are you doing? Like she's having, she's probably a best eleven player in the tournament, and you bench her because you think, I think they thought Scurry was better at that point against. Oh, what he had some crazy justification. Was, he, was she like inside no Marta's sense. head or something, and we didn't know it? Well, obviously not, because Marta scored one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life in that game, and I just know. the U.S. got <laughs> trucked. <laughs> So Solo said some things after the game that, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you don't say them, but in a perfect world, you don't get benched going into a semifinal either for playing better than any other goalkeeper in the tournament. Yeah, that's fair. 
It was a mess. And that was a long time ago. That's the crazy that's thing. What, that's what I mean. That's where I thought about it. I was like, that was a long time ago. So her being 35 kind of makes sense now, but I had like an existential crisis for a good three, four, five minutes about, <laughs> my God, like time is time is a fleeting thing. Like we're, Megan, we're, we're getting old, man. Megan, Megan Rapinoe's in her like early, mid-30s now. And oh, God. Oh, eventually, we're going to look up at Mallory Pugh is going to be 30 and I'm just going to cry. <laughs> We're getting old, man. You just uh, got to get used to it. I know. Um, but speaking of women playing the game um, and teams that are not either national teams or MLS teams, uh, Jason, you wrote an article this week about the USL in Atlanta and the potential for it. Yeah. Um, yeah this is something you kind of mentioned when we were talking about what was on tap for tonight. And that article was you know, specifically about how would a USL team that's owned and operated by Atlanta United, how would it benefit the MLS club? But there's kind of a bigger discussion here, and you have to go back a few months on the meetings that were had in DeKalb County about a multi-sport facility but with a huge soccer focus and a small soccer stadium. I think the idea was about 10,000 seats. Uh, out in Lithonia and groups met with the NWSL and the NASL at that time. Um, nothing new has happened with it. So no clue where that stands. And the proposed NWSL team, the Atlanta five that's been working on this for a while now, has kind of gone quiet again. So not sure where things stand um, for the NWSL to come to Atlanta I, I mean, the, the group that's tried to do it with the vibe, uh, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep at it because they applied for an expansion franchise for this season and were not approved. Um, they kind of threw their hat in the ring with this DeKalb County project. There's been no traction there. I don't know it, how much longer they're going to keep at it. I'm not sure who's behind that from a financial perspective, not sure how long, how patient they're going to be. I think NWSL might be more successful looking at the model that Portland and Houston um, have followed with the attachment to an MLS team. Um, And it's definitely something I could see Atlanta United exploring at some point. You know, you look at the leadership there, you look at, you know, Ann Rodriguez has experience with women's pro soccer, uh, Skate Nossinger has been with the ECNL. I think there's there's definitely the right people in place to make it a success if if you want to go down that road. But I don't see Atlanta United doing that for a couple of years at least. And see, that's where I was kind of hoping this would go. Um, I would love to see Atlanta United jump into that NWSL field, but I think you're right; it's a couple of years away at least, if not it's more. It might take be a more. Um, it might be because then part of that depends on the USL team. If they oh, want to yeah. go that route, when do you do that? And I think that might be sooner, but you might be able to do them kind of in conjunction with one another, another depending on how you do it. Cause when I think of like the USL team, I think like, okay, well, I mean, that sounds like when I think about it, we've talked about, you know, where alternate locations would be for Atlanta United. Um, let's say they have to play games and their con and their schedules overlap. Um, I would I wouldn't mind I would go to Kennesaw to watch a USL game consistently at that stadium. Yeah, I mean 
for you, that's easy. For me, I know uh, that's a long way. And even when I was living in the city, that's that was a long way. I didn't go to as many Atlanta Beat games in Kennesaw as I would have liked because it just took so long. Yeah, and that's um, fair. Um, but I'm, I mean, but if, if you okay. don't play it downtown, you know, you're going to have that, and that's and that's what a USL. And I mean, you look at the the financial part of it, and I think an NWSL team is similar in terms of the type of crowd, the numbers of people you're trying to draw. So you could pair them together and Kennesaw could work. I think, you know, there's, if you, you could even look for at least the USL side of it, you could look further out, look at what Orlando is doing this year where they're playing their Orlando city B games in Melbourne on the East coast of Florida, um, an hour away from Orlando, you know, play Athens. Athens is the one I keep kind of going back to that would make a lot of sense. I don't know about it for NWSL. I don't think it fits with what they want to do. I think for NWSL, you'd want to play your games probably in the bends um, to give it that major league feel. I think NWSL is going more in that direction. But if you did Kennesaw, then that becomes a a spot that you could do both at if, if you do it. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've heard mixed things about kind of where, Kennesaw State's heads at about that stadium, and I don't know if they would even be willing to entertain that. Well, the the problem for Kennesaw State right now is that entire athletic department's got a lot on their plate right now. If you've been oh following, yeah, they have a few things going on. If you've been following the news in Kennesaw, it's uh, it's hard being an old I'm right now. I picked a yeah. bad time to graduate from Kennesaw. Yeah, things aren't good right now. Um, so I mean, they've got a lot going on. Um. As far as the NWSL, I'm absolutely on board. Play it in the Dome uh, or the Benz, whatever you want to call it. Um, I'm going with Benz right now. No, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm totally okay with playing it in the Benz. That's, that would be my preference for that same feel. Um, and I'm not saying that you would get, you know, I can't say one way or another, you know, what people would show up for for those kind of things. But I know I'm always impressed when I turn on a Portland Thorns game. Yep. And uh, what is it, Providence Park now? It was gelled when last time I was there. Um, it's been a while. Uh, but, I mean, just that place is absolutely bonkers. And that'd be awesome. I don't know if it would happen here. That'd be really awesome, though. I mean, and there's so much. And I feel like, at, on one hand, it's overlooked. On the other hand, every sports director in Atlanta probably says the names of every girl who ever grew up in the state of Georgia who plays for the national team in their sleep so that during the Olympics and the Women's World Cup they can just talk about it. Because there's... You know, there's plenty of talent in the state of Georgia, and it's really paid off on the women's side with the national team, and there's definitely the appeal. Like, you bring a Heather O'Reilly here, and congratulations, we'd like you to anchor a team. Or, you know, another who, whatever next young talent runs onto the scene that's better than has any that she has any right to be at her age on a national stage. Yeah, I mean, an NWSL team, I think, would be successful here. You know, the Atlanta Dream have been pretty solid when it comes to WNBA. I think, you know, Atlanta could do okay. And it, a lot of it's just the the spot. I mean, you look at the Atlanta beat, both iterations of the beat, and the one in Kennesaw struggled. I think the league was struggling at that point as well. So, and those teams were awful. I mean, they just, they, they it was just bad soccer. So they struggled at the gate. But the original beat, especially the first year when they played at, at Georgia Tech, did really well. And even when they were playing at Morris Brown at Herndon Stadium, they did well. They were one of the better WUSA teams when it came to attendance. I think if you play downtown, 
you can you can be in that seventy five hundred to ten thousand type of crowd range, which is I think where you want to be to make it viable. Yeah. Um, and the NWSL would welcome you know another big market and being attached to Atlanta United, and I think Portland's kind of showing a a route forward with it where you can grow both brands if you do it right and create that synergy between the two. And they're, they're both distinct. I mean, you know, it's not the Portland Timbers women, it's, it's the Portland thorns and the thorns have their own identity and that's great. And it complements the Timbers. It's not, you know, kind of subservient to it. Two to one odds. It would be the Atlanta Phoenix two to one easy. I mean, somebody's going to shoehorn a Phoenix in here somewhere. I don't know. I still don't. Just don't think it works. Actually, I had someone suggest the other day. Ask someone asked me if. Um, actually, it was my wife asked me. Uh, it, does Atlanta United have a mascot? They need one. No mascot yet. No, and like uh, the first thing that popped in my head is like, I'm pretty sure that Izzy costume is still laying around in a in a, <laughs> in a yeah. dump somewhere in City Hall. Okay, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> See you guys. Welp. Wow. Wow. You went Izzy. <laughs> Man, that's sitting around somewhere. <laughs> they didn't kill it because it can't be killed. That thing was burned. No, they tried and they failed. Well, you might be right in that in that case. <laughs> um, Goodness. So yeah, we like yeah, mascots gotta happen eventually. I mean, it doesn't have to like run around the stands and do silly things, but I mean that'll be interesting. We can't like have a tool race around the bends, but that's uh god that would be fun um anyway god on to happier things well not happier if you're in seattle uh orlando plays seattle this week that's the thing that's happening like oh boy a team that's growing against a team that's doing something else um, oh no they they were much better last week i mean i know they, you were right we went over this nostradamus yep uh told you they were gonna be better but not get the win and it's kind of how it went i mean it was sad to watch that, that tying goal go in and just the whole defense kind of all look at each other like, huh? <laughs> but that's, that's Seattle soccer right now. Um, what I got out of that game is that Nicholas Ladero is the truth and he completely makes that team viable. Uh, it's not just his talent and skill, but his movement off the ball was really impressive. And, I mean, dude was putting in work. Uh, he was covering some ground. He was all over trying to, to just lift that team to something. And I, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch in this league, but he can't do it all himself. Yeah, that's completely fair. Um, They've got a lot of issues. Hey, they're only nine games out of the six spot right now. <sighs> or nine points, I'm sorry, nine games. Uh-huh. I'm thinking baseball. They are. They are. They got two teams to leapfrog there. Um Including Portland because that would that wouldn't feel good at all. Because Portland sitting one Portland sitting in seventh place, one game back, and Seattle has two games in hand on Portland and Vancouver and San Jose. Who actually San Jose has two games in hand as well. But they have two games in hand on Portland and Vancouver, on Vancouver. So, I mean, that would be hilarious if like San Jose just kind of stumbles drunkenly into the sixth spot, and Seattle still somehow fin- finishes better than Portland and Vancouver, and they all three miss the playoffs. But you know, wow. you're you're still the king. You 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 are you are the the band with one eye in the kingdom of the blind. Wow, you went there. It's a dark time. 
Seriously, this whole Scottish season about the starts got you messed up. Between that and watching the Braves, and yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Like, um, the Braves got tied to uh, Yasiel Puig, by the way. Let's not get off topic. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely anyway. leaving if we're going there. <laughs> Orlando, uh, uh-huh. like we said, Orlando is actually tied there with New England. They have a game in hand, so. Um, and we talked a little bit earlier about crisis changes and what he's, you know, the idea of making changes over time. Um, and they looked good. They looked good in that second half. And that's what I heard. I didn't get to see it, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, whatever he said at halftime, whatever, you know, it was a statement because they came out, scored almost immediately, and then came back with three goals in the second half to win 3 1. That's huge. Uh, that gives him a lot of confidence. This is a good matchup for Orlando, too. You start to break it down a little bit. Um, Chad Marshall for Seattle is a center back against Kyle Aaron. It's going to be a big, deciding matchup in this match. Um, if if Orlando can get Laren matched up with Brad Evans, he's just going to physically kind of boss him around. So Marshall is going to have to try to keep wraps on, on Laren. But... The other part that where Orlando, I think, can kind of trump Seattle is on the outside, uh, especially on the left. Um, Seattle played Tyrone Mears and Ladero on the right side in their last game. Um, I think Ladero will probably end up being better suited to playing in the middle down the line, but they haven't, they haven't got there yet. So if they play Ladero and Mears on the same side, a team can attack there because both of those guys like to get forward and Orlando in crisis first match played Molino on the left side and Molino had two goals. You've also got Greg Shea who can play on the left side um, and you can move Molino over to the right. Either one is going to be a really tough matchup for Seattle to deal with. What's going to have to happen is Osvaldo Alonso is going to have to slide out to kind of cover that side a little bit more that creates space for Kaká in the middle it's a tough matchup for Seattle um, kind of where they're at right now. And I think, you know, Christ has kind of got to be licking his chops on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm looking over stuff for Seattle or for Orlando, excuse me. And it's most of the, most of the stuff I'm seeing from people is, you know, it's all that attacking mindset of how they're going to, it's like, it's almost like they're trying to play chess and trying to force people to play checkers, like trying to make everyone. And I guess, that's not a good analogy. I guess what I mean is they're trying to make everyone counter them. They're trying to make the first yeah. move and keep you on the back foot. Which, like you said, if you, you know, if you start forcing things down the left, then you've got to play left. Then you open up the middle. You know, maybe he, you know, maybe he changes things up, moves someone to the right. I don't know. Like if he keeps people on the defensive like that, I mean, the thing is that defense has been so theoretical that. The idea of a Seattle counterattack is it always feels like it's there. It's true. Not, That's definitely true. I don't know necessarily if it's because Seattle would be able to counter successfully or if Orlando would just let them counter successfully. Well, that's kind of where Orlando's at right now is they have to put teams off balance with their attack oh, because yeah. their their defense just isn't solid enough to carry him. So They've got to figure out ways to make you adjust to deal with Molino, to deal with Kaká, to deal with Laren, to deal with Breck Shea. You know, you put Breck Shea on the right side, which is what they did in the last game. He came on as a sub. Then you have him cutting in all the time onto his left foot. That can unbalance a team. So I, 
it's it's a tough matchup for Seattle. Um, Roman Torres came back into training this week. He's definitely not going to be ready to play on Saturday. I'd be or on Sunday. I'd be shocked. But when you get him back, you know you get a little more solid in the back as, for the Sounders. They might be able to get some things going. You get Alvaro Fernandez kind of into the mix. Uh, you might be able to figure it out, but they're nine points back and they've got two teams ahead of them before you even get to the playoff line. I just don't see it. I don't either. Um, I would, I'm really interested to see how they come out because again, last week I was wrong because the earth is still round and uh, they, they, they came out and fought really hard against a team in LA that, you know, is still fighting to get into that second spot to get that first round by. I thought I thought LA was going to come out looking for blood and not to say that they weren't, but I was really impressed with Seattle like, you know, just punching their way through it even though they gave up kind of that that gut punch goal, but I mean, if Seattle keeps fighting, like not only could Seattle, you know, they're not mathematically eliminated, but they're they're fighting an incredibly uphill battle and the hill is on fire. Uh but they could really ruin some people's lives on the way to the end of the season. If, especially if they just, if they keep fighting with this kind of fu- uh, firepower and, you know, the new changes, everything, everything could, they, they could ruin people's lives. People could hate them more, I guess. There's room for that. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I just don't see it though. I really don't. I oh, think. No, I, I'm not saying they would make the playoffs. I'm saying they could play spoiler like hell. They could. They definitely could. And, you know, if you can play spoiler on on your rivals, that that's a nice way to kind of finish out a disappointing year. But I don't know. They finally getting Ladero. Um, I, I hope it was worth the wait, and I think it will be next year. But you you really didn't make any other moves this summer. That you had some other things you needed to work out. I I also think it's just kind of time to refresh that squad. You know, you yep. look at they kind of went all in with what Siggy wanted to do and it didn't work. So now one they've got to figure out where they're going to go on the manager side and that's a huge uh decision because you know like we talked about last week they're a marquee franchise so they're going to go big with it. So then you make that move, then okay, what do you need to do to overhaul the roster because you're probably going to have to this this roster is definitely set up for what Siggy wanted to do um i, I don't know um it's gonna be a, a fun off season to watch what happens in seattle for sure uh in terms of spoiling their rivals lives they still have to play portland and vancouver twice before we're Oof. done and they play well, and they play san jose at home who is sitting in their way so i mean that's that's not to say the that schedule's good for them. Yeah, yeah, the schedule is set not necessarily to make the playoffs. The schedule is set to ruin somebody's life, which at some point in the season, uh, after watching the Falcons last year, sometimes all you can hope for is to ruin somebody's life. Sure, that's a that's a bleak way to look at it, but that's it is. is that's the way it is sometimes. And I like your idea of refreshing the squad. Um, so really, I mean, we could be looking at two chalkboards that are due to be kind of wiped. Not completely clean, but to where you're looking at two teams right now who, in a calendar year, could look very different depending on, you know, whether Seattle sticks with the coaching, what kind of move they make. Um, 
how they refresh the squad, and what Christ brings into Orlando. I mean, we could look at it a calendar year from now and see two, two completely different teams. I think that's kind of fun to think about. Yeah, it's it's a fun time for Atlanta United to be coming in because you look around, we've talked about Orlando, Seattle, both looking at probably making a lot of changes in their roster and are going to have guys who don't fit. Uh, Chicago pretty much punted this transfer window to prepare for January. Oh, only a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing that for a while. Like, this January for them has to be big. Um, there's a player in Chicago, Arturo Alvarez, who I've always liked. I think he could be a fit in the right system playing to his strengths. Um, to probably get him for next to nothing. So he would be a player I would look at. Uh, Houston's going to go over some changes, you know, when they get a new manager. It's another team that's looking for a manager, so... They you know, brought in a couple young guys this time, no, nobody huge. So they're going to be looking to make moves in January. There's going to be a lot of, of changes around the league, and there's going to be a lot of opportunity for Atlanta to, to take advantage of with players who are good quality players in this league, just don't fit where they are right now. Yeah, and um, we'll see what happens. I mean, that window comes. Uh, something stupid, of course, will happen in the MLS Cup because it always does. We can't ever escape that. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, things will always we'll change. See. But um, So what's what's your pick for Orlando, Seattle? I'm just going to be wrong anyway. Um, <laughs> I like Orlando 3-2. Uh, 3-2, to two. Three, two, Orlando. Yeah. I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to make big decisions that are probably wrong. And that is, and it's, by the way, it's in Orlando. Just yes. Clear. I mean, I, I think you got the right result. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit easier game for Orlando. I'm going to go three one. Um, I just don't see Seattle being able to keep them off the board. Not with, with some of the matchups that we talked about and, you know, being at home, I think having, you know, the excitement of Christ's first game, I think Orlando is going to get it done and really keep the pressure on and in, in reaching the playoffs. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's like a three-two, like oh, uh, Seattle scored a goal in the eighty-fourth minute, and then it was uh, you know heart in your throat for the last you know six minutes because Orlando wasn't attacking, didn't know what to do, had to just defend, and it went really poorly for six minutes. That kind of thing could happen. Where um, uh, Seattle kind of comes back and makes it fun because if 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 the LA game taught me anything for one week, it's that Seattle's not going to go down without a fight. Watch them go down with a fight this weekend. <laughs> I have a little bit of a breaking news to end tonight. Oh, please go. Um, definitely on Saturday at six o'clock, you're going to want to watch Tijuana at Cruz Azul because Hector Vichalba traveled with the team to Mexico City. Oh, it's lit. It's all kind yep. of lit. Yep. Oh, man. Well, I think that about wraps it up this week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jason, for being here. Um, and putting up with everything. Um, again, Just keep soaking that kitchen in alcohol. Whew. Get ready for the Scottish season. You'll be good. Whew. Saturday morning is going to be fun. Man, that's going to be good. You want to reach uh, reach out to either one of us? Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, Jason Longshore can be found at, at Longshoe. I can be found at Jarrett underscore Smith. Find either one of us there. Read further about Atlanta United, the place you're going to want to check out over on SB Nation, Dirty South Soccer. Uh, you need a filler in between the week, head on over to Mouths of the South. They'll keep you filled in as well in between the Friday morning uh, Peachtree Post updates. 
Uh, for Jason Longshore, I'm Jarrett Smith. Thanks again, everybody. We'll catch up next week.